When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Welcome, everyone, to the final uh, panel of today, where we are looking to push the boundaries of scripted audio plays um, and kind of see where do we go next? How do we make it better? Um, can we make it better? And what are maybe some steps we can take to do that? Um, I'm Tony. I'm the marketing director for Fasting Nonsense, and I'm working with some lovely people today to uh, help me answer that question. Um, I'm going to go around my screen as I see them. And Aaron, would you introduce yourself uh, for the audience? Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Nicole Lundquist. I'm a professional voice actor. I've been voice acting for seven years, uh, and I started character work a few years ago in audio dramas and I never left. <laughs> well, I'm just kidding. I did do other things. Um, uh, I have work coming out on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Peacock. I have a bunch of audiobooks coming out. Super exciting. Um, but one thing that I love and that I will never not love is scripted audio dramas. So this is why I'm here. And that is exactly why you are um, one of uh, a, a very big fan favorite, even though the show's not even out yet, for Super Suits, uh, because you put so much passion into what you do, and it's just, it's palpable. Thank you. Yeah, I, I play Cole Castillo in Super Suits. Check it out when it releases from Faustian Nonsense. Mm -hmm. Got you. And Hannah, you know a little something about Super Suits, don't you? I do. Um, hello, everyone. I'm Hannah. Uh, I don't like that I have to follow Aaron, <laughs> but I will do my best. Um, yes, I'm Hannah Levin. Uh, I am the uh, lead writer for the upcoming Faustian Nonsense original scripted auto audio drama Super Suits. Um, I was also the lead writer of uh, FN's other original, well, not only other original, but one of the other original scripted audio dramas, uh, uh, Midsummer's Quarantine. Um, and I've also been on some unscripted podcasts, but those are not what I am here to talk about today. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so you say you're afraid to follow Hannah. You wrote the damn show for the most part. So, like, that's yeah, but she's been on Netflix. That's crazy. <laughs> well, I still think you are. You have plenty of merit to be here, and how we'll have. I'm very interested to hear to pick your brain about writing for Super Suits. Um, so, well, thank you, Tony. Yeah, of course. And Paul, um, while not directly associated... Well, no, you do have an ensemble character, and you did something else very important for the show. Why don't you talk about that? And also, um, your own show that is wonderful. Uh, Anna's saying that she doesn't want to follow Aaron, but I have to follow the pair of you, so you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> feel sorry for me. Uh, yeah, no, I, my name's Paul, Paul Walsh. I am the writer-creator of The Green Horizon 
which is uh, one of the scriptorias Amazon FN and I also have the claim to fame to have been the one who named super suits that's so when you know when the show gets picked up you know those that royalty you know send them my way please because that's you know like that's my that's that's my that was my idea you know that's your super suits claim to fame is that you did name the show which is a very clever name and when once everyone read that i remember everyone's like that's it that's that's the show we have to make the show now because the name is too good not to <laughs> so yeah, I, was, I, I, dipped, I dipped in i went super suits and then i think i left I yeah like, yeah you know, literally just kind of showed up just made your impact uh and forever changed our lives and we're like you're like, all right, I'm going to go to bed because it's probably like midnight, you know, for you like it is right now. So, yes, shout out to Paul for being here super late. We know it's it is, well, a little bit past midnight for you now. So thank you for being such a trooper. You're very welcome. I wouldn't be anywhere else. Very excited for this. <laughs> uh, so as today's themes are for pushing the boundaries of audio drama and uh, scripted audio plays, we must first establish that what are some of the main limitations that we face when creating shows like this. Um, I personally have never been involved with the creation of a show, only talking and marketing about it, so I will be, um, I would love to hear everyone's insight for um, when it comes to either performing in a show that is audio only and how you have to change your performance for that. And also, what the hell does it take to write something that someone can't see, uh, but still put, throw them into that mood? So um, I would like to start um, with Paul, I would love to hear about um, how you came up with the Green Horizon. I understand that it started as a book, and kind of what were your challenges with creating the show as you transitioned it to a an audio drama? I suppose the first challenge was having absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, I I'd like to be honest about that. No clue, nothing. I was just I had like. Eva, who plays Sonya in the show, she's my, um, my partner, she was just like, you know what, because I'd written the book, spent seven years writing the thing, and then eventually I just realized that it just wasn't good enough. Like, um, that, that style of writing just isn't my my cup of tea, and that's okay. Um, she turned around and said, you know what, I've been listening to audio dramas. You should turn it into an audio drama. And then I said, oh, yeah, that'd be cool, but um, you know, all the characters in the book are, are American, or they all have American accents, so like can't get all my friends to come in and put on dodgy American accents, so what am I going to do? She said, you know, well, the book's about space, so maybe you could be about Irish people in space, and I was like, that's ridiculous. No, that, that's not going to work. Um, it did, somehow. Here we are, but um, that was definitely the first challenge, was like, you know, getting the cast together, and I'm absolutely blessed with the cast I got. Um, I don't know how I did it. I li it's almost like I went into a crowd just threw stones at people and somehow got the cast I got. Absolute, so lucky. But that was definitely the first hurdle. And right, writing came easy enough, funnily enough, because I was just writing I like, talk. It was, they're, they're from where I'm from, so they're from Waterford, so it's it's my dialect, it's the way I talk. The hardest part was definitely the sound design, because I had to do that myself, so I had to learn as I went. Um, but you know, I got there in the end. Um, it's still there after three seasons, so yeah, something something went right along the way. Three seasons and a spinoff called Voiders on the same feed, uh, and Voiders is okay. also very, very, very fun. Um, 
it, it's funny that you say like you had no idea because like even the quality of season one I think is really really nice and um, it is. <laughs> Greg says, I heard Waterford's nice, but it's not Cork, is it? Which is a whole nother discussion we had oh. during the um, <laughs> the TTRPG stream we did for Green Horizon. Um, it has its own TTRPG that the wonderful people at uh, Witch Hat Productions uh, made for the show. Um, <laughs> but it, you definitely have um, improved your skills. Like season three sounds incredible. Um, and season one sounded great too. It's just, it's awesome to see, hear your progress. Um, and it's, it's funny. You say you have no idea. You had no idea what you're doing. We started because it does not sound that way. It's a very, very enjoyable show and um, is a very successful show. Um, you have some great numbers. You have some great milestones that you've achieved already. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you were writing the show, um, you first wrote it as a novel. When it actually came to turning it into, like, how did you have to overcome, like, oh, I can't show people this scene. I have to, I have to have it, um, I, I have to describe this through audio and you don't have narration to help you in that kind of way so where how did you overcome that obstacle for green horizon um i wrote it i wrote the scripts for season one honestly i didn't take the needing to transfer it into nothing but sound i actually didn't take that into much consideration um by the time i got from uh writing it to getting the voices in getting the lines and then got to the point of designing it, I went, I've made a big mistake here, there's a lot of stuff here that does not work. So I actually ended up having to cut a lot of stuff, like there's a, there's a gunfight scene in the first episode. The original script went for them to run through the bar and out the door, but I couldn't do that, I just didn't have the, at the time I just didn't have the skill to make that sound right. I didn't know about, you know, um, uh, surround sound or that kind of stuff so I was just like how do I get around this if I try and make this work I make this sound like they're doing that you won't know the way of uh, the, the listener can know that's what's going on so I had to completely revamp what I was doing um, and I did that a lot throughout the first season there's a lot of stuff that I wrote came out totally different in the end for one reason or another I just decided just said like it's not going to come across the right way unless I do it this way instead unless I cut this line this scene cut this action you know so um, by season three and now in season four, when I'm writing it, I'm also sound designing it in my head as I write it now. It's something you kind of learn along the way, but definitely for season one, there was none of that consideration done. Um, but it was definitely uh, an interesting journey. Hey, sometimes you uh, you got to fall to get back up, right? You know, you, you, you found that, like, you found these limitations and then were able to get past them. And um, it's very interesting to hear that you, you had a lot of those um, hurdles to face in season one, but um, it's very interesting that you were able. They, they that's now something you consider uh, when writing, and I actually think that's a good segue to go over to Hannah with Supersuits because Supersuits was collaboratively written. So how so so what was it like to write in a in a larger, more collaborative uh, sphere uh, for something like um, Supersuits? It was really interesting. Um, and I think we have a panel on, I think, Sunday about 
teamwork at a distance, I think it's called. So I'm sure I will talk more about this. Um, but collaborative writing is a really interesting experience. Um, it, I think, uh, in some ways is a very delicate experience because uh, for me at least, and I think probably, I think probably this is a pretty universal experience for people who write. It's super personal, uh, the things you put on the page. Um, and you, you're super attached to your ideas. You're super sensitive about them. And so uh, working with other people, sometimes they're going to be like, I don't really love this. And you're going to be like, oh, I get it. You think I should die, <laughs> um, uh, which is the wrong reaction to have. So uh, that's, I think, definitely the most difficult part about it is you're forced to sort of do this very vulnerable thing of sharing something and being willing to uh, let other people shape something that feels very personal to you. But I think once you get past that, it's a really cool thing to do. Um, because much like working on any kind of other team, you get a bunch of different people with a bunch of different skill sets who can kind of add together their strengths and cover for each other's weaknesses. Uh, everyone is good at different things. Um, when I write alone, I, uh, I'm not great at world building. I don't have that mind for details and systems. I, uh, the parts that I like about writing are more to do with characters and feelings and that kind of thing. And we had people on the team that were fantastic at world building. And I got to kind of just like leave that part to them and do what I <laughs> wanted to do. Um, there's also, I think for writing comedy specifically, something very cool about having people to bounce off of. Uh, I think one of my favorite writing experiences from the show is the one episode uh, that we really, I really did collaborate on with someone. Uh, most of most of the way writing worked with Super Suits was we didn't have like an official writer's room because we all live in different places, different time zones, stuff like that. So someone would take an episode, outline it, um, in its entirety, they would pop into the Discord to ask questions sometimes, and we collaborated. We had meetings about like larger plot and larger world. Um, and then sometimes people would write the episodes they outlined as well. Sometimes they would get passed to someone else. Um, sometimes someone would like write a scene and then leave the rest for someone else. So it was working together, um, but it was also uh, sort of working together in a sort of disconnected way. We weren't like sitting together and talking when we were outlining or writing the episodes, except for one time uh, when myself and another one of the writers, my friend Stefan, uh, uh, we live fairly close together. So Stefan came over to my apartment and sat on my couch and we were like, we're going to outline an episode together. It's going to be an episode where there are a bunch of sidekicks children loose in the law firm um it is i think our stupidest episode of super suits uh and stefan and i are both good at being zany and off the walls but i think on my own i would have had sort of an instinct to limit myself to be like like have a very crazy idea and go like that's too crazy um but 
I, you know, I was just sitting on the couch talking and I'd say something objectively dumb and Stefan would be like, yeah, let's do that. And let's do this on top of that. Uh, and so we, we got to like sort of compound each other's ideas and we came up with this like absolutely insane, very funny episode. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, there are lots of benefits to it. Um, the combination of a lot of different people's skills is also great. The, the sort of back and forth and multiplicativeness of actually sitting down and working together on something is also great. Um, we did that for more serious stuff too. As I said, the world building and larger plot was uh, talked out together. And like, I remember I would have like, <laughs> if you go into the writer's discord, they're like, hours long that's me and like jackie and amy like throwing ideas back and forth and trying to work out like what's gideon's character arc going to be what's his backstory uh and like just tons of ideas and people someone says something someone else says no someone says something someone else says yes and this on top of that it's 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 an insane process and i found it I found it really, really rewarding. And I think, I think it produced a pretty good show. You guys can judge for yourselves when it's out. But. I, I, I think about that sidekick episode very often because that rehearsal was just bonkers. And for, for, for those of, uh, for those of everyone that had uh, been a part of the crowdfunding campaign and had, were able to sit in on that, um, they can test, they, they can attest to that it is truly unhinged and it is so funny and it is the most fun episode in the the whole show off the top of my head um and so it's very interesting to hear i don't think i realized that was um both you and stefan together um in that in that kind of way do you think that collaborative writing is has really led to a um a better overall experience for the show um you think that will ultimately make it better than had you just written it by yourself oh totally i yeah i think don't get me wrong i think there is a place for writing by yourself and i think there are some things that i still do write for myself and that i wouldn't want anyone else to touch because they are my babies um and i have a very particular vision um and other people getting involved in them would be either make it too complicated or too personal. Like there, there absolutely is a place for writing things by yourself. But I think with super suit specifically, because it started out collaboratively, um, it was, it's this world that we all built together and it's a very big world. Um, and there's room for all these ideas in it. There's it, it's episodic. It's based it's based on comic books, and so it's episodic in a way that means there's room for all different styles and all different kinds of humor. Um, and I think, I I think that's something really special. You know, I I think for this particular concept, absolutely, it is better than something that I could have written myself. Absolutely. <laughs> Right, and that's kind of the, the and I and I think we'll probably touch about the uh, touch on this a little bit more later when we talk about how to push this genre further. The, I don't think that 
collaboratively putting throwing more people at it is always going to be the right answer because there are going to be productions that have a voice that's so unique to specific artists. Like Green Horizon is so distinctly Paul humor and style that adding another writer to it, I think, would dilute um, that the spirit of the Green Horizon. Um, and and you are right. In the case of Supersuits, it does feel like a comic book, which are often very collaborative works uh, inherently. So um, I, I think that is true that maybe that isn't the answer to our question is to throw more people at it. Um, it really can be very show dependent. Um, and now I want to go to Aaron, who sits on a kind of a different side of the production process, uh, who performs in a lot of these shows because you now get to work um, you're in uh, you had an anime debut you have um, some Netflix content coming how does your performance change based on the medium do you find that in an audio only format you have to perform to a different um, do you have to carry a different performance than something that will have video to kind of help sell the performance Mm. So, anime and prelay animation, which is the animation in which you go in and you say the lines first, and then the animators take those lines and create the animation based off of them, have two very different performances. And audio drama work is a lot sim more similar to prelay animation work, in which you have to embody all of the physicality of the character so that the animators can hear it so that they can create the character on the screen. And um, in that way, it's to me the same as putting that in the imagination of your audience, because that's one of the hardest things. That's one of the hurdles, the limitations of audio only work is really getting actors to understand that like how I'm seated right now talking to you is not how I would perform. You have to physically do all of the things that your character's doing in order to convey the physical action of the scene. And in that, I think, it, yeah, it is very similar to prelate. Anime, however, there's not only the action's already on the screen. So then, yes, you are doing physicality, but you're mimicking what you're seeing that's already done. Uh, and it's all about timing. So your acting has to has to fit within this much space. So whether that means that words are taken out from the original dialogue, whether that means that a lot of words are added in in order to fill because something was in a different language. Uh, and this is true of live action. I do a lot of live action dubbing as well. And so with same with human people is like your acting changes because you're still doing it, but it's like an extra skill set on top of that that you don't have to worry about an audio drama at all. You could take as long as you want for the most part because your scripts are generally going to be pre-measured to fit a certain episode uh, episode requirement. Um, one thing that I will say is a big limitation, I've done some sound, not sound design, but sound editing. I've been a dialogue editor and I've been the person to select the takes. So from being an actor in this weird distance world, in which for ensemble cast productions, which a lot of the audio dramas are, it's you may never get all of the characters in the same room. So you may not have a table read with the character that you're actually talking to. And so that 
can technically change, like you can change your performance because when you are performing across from a real human who's having real reactions, it's like easy mode for audio. <laughs> like you can really play off of people. Um, so a lot of times they'll ask actors to give like, give us three takes of this, give us five takes of this on the recording. And then somebody is choosing those lines. And a limitation of audio dramas is, man, are all of these, is all of this going to match? How, which of these takes do I pick and like piece this together? And I have like such respect because I've done it. Such respect for that side of the process as well, because that um, you can completely change a scene just by which takes you're choosing from your different actors. Um, so that's pretty pretty cool and also mad respect to both paul and hannah for what they for what they do because from an actor's perspective the amount of trust that you're given to embody a character and bring them to life is like i don't know it's like sacred you know <laughs> like these are their babies they live in their brains like rent free forever and then you're trying to bring their babies out of their head and into the world and that's um that's what actors do, and it's a little psychotic, but it's it's the best job ever. So thank you both for bringing stories out into the world. It's, uh, yeah, it's really, so it's very cool. I didn't know that you have also kind of sat a little bit in the actual um, production side of that as well. And so, yeah, I can't even imagine how difficult it is. I had Ty from Super Suits record just one trailer audio that will be a minute or so, and... And Ty has provided several takes, and it's very true. Just to, the the slight inflection will completely change. Uh, we had jokes that were written in it that were like, "I think this is funny," and then Ty will do it, and it's like, "Wow, that actually really carries the joke." When you have um, just the right tone, the right the right pacing, everything. Um, it's yeah, it seems like very 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 tricky work. Um, for you, Hannah, as well, you, you, uh, I've heard from Jackie on this that actually hearing how a scene plays out, was there ever a time where, where you did not think that scene would work and it did or vice versa? Did you um, have to edit any scenes in post after rehearsal to change the outcome and reformat it? Um... There were an absolute ton of scenes that I, well, not so much that I didn't think would work because I don't, <laughs> I would give anything to the actors that I don't think will work. Um, uh, I, I respect their time too much for that. Um, but there were jokes and scenes that I didn't think would land as well as they did. And then they gave, I gave it to the actors and it became something entirely different. Like I, it absolutely is. There is a lot of trust involved in giving actors something that you wrote because they are my babies and they do live in my brain rent free. But you guys are so, at least the Super Seats cast and definitely Aaron specifically, they're so good at it. They're so good at it. Um, well, I, it was nice to hear that Cole, Cole well, I, they're all a bunch of New York lawyers. I literally assumed everyone was going to have a New York accent. So, and I, my natural accent, like, this is a neutralized accent to make myself intelligible, because otherwise I literally just sound like Cole Castillo all the time in it's my brain. So, 
So it's like it's like this because this is how I really I grew up in New Jersey. Like, what do you want from me? So this is how I did call because I was like, oh my god, it's a it's like a Long Island lawyer. That's an accent. It's gonna be great. And like, <laughs> and to find out, I was the I'm the only one. I'm the only one on the cast <laughs> with this accent. And they're like, we never thought of that. I was like, but you said it in New York. I don't know. Yeah, I'm we a- did. I I um I'm very dumb. Uh, and as I said, not great at world building. Um, and so I, as we, so the, the name of our city is Megalopolis based on Metropolis, which is based on New York. I have read Superman comics. I did not realize Metropolis was based on New York. (laughs) Um, Stefan and Jackie told me that like midway through writing (laughs) um uh so that's why it didn't occur to me that the characters would have new york accents i can't speak for the other writers because they all knew that um but no i (sighs) casting casting actors absolutely like it's something that oh banani didn't know that either i feel better um uh put once you there, so we cast actors in the middle, uh, not the middle, like maybe two, three quarters of the way through writing the scripts. We still had like a little to go when they were cast. Um, and it absolutely just like, once I heard things out loud, the way the characters are in my head changed. Cole Castillo had a Long Island accent after that. Uh, and she had Aaron's inflections. Uh, uh, Harper's voice became way squeakier and cuter in my head. Um, like, like, I don't know. It's so difficult to describe because it's somewhat an intangible thing. But hearing this stuff read makes it real on another level. Uh, it, it takes, you know, the ideas of a person that you have in your brain and it it puts a voice and sometimes a face to them and and they they become that much fuller and it becomes in some ways easier to write for them um because you you have some idea of how it's going to sound um that wasn't the original question i don't think uh the original question was about stuff working uh and not working um, there are absolutely jokes that we wrote that were way funnier once the actors uh, were able to handle them. That whole, the episode with the kids loose in the building comes to mind. Uh, everybody was so, went so big in, uh, you know, being these horrible little teens uh, and all the lawyers went so big and how freaked out and panicked they were. It was just, it was adding sort of another level of crazy on top of the level of crazy that we'd written into the script. And there was some stuff I think that we did find that didn't work as well as we thought it would when we wrote it. Uh, But most of it was like, okay, this scene is too long. Um, uh, This character uh, doesn't so much. The actor has a voice uh, that we, that, you know, doesn't, like an accent that we hadn't planned for and so like these words don't sound right or sound as clear like little stuff generally speaking uh 
much more often i think we got improvements from the actors yeah i i know that i think jackie is of the exact same uh jackie would be here to talk about this uh she's still recovering so hopefully she'll be feeling better by this weekend to be able to join or you know by tomorrow and Saturday, sunday to be able to uh, kind of join in because I'd love to hear um, also you know some of what she thinks about this as well. But I remember her being very very pleased that to to hear these um, these uh, these words that she's written alive with an incredible voice cast. I mean we truly we are very very fortunate to have the uh, cast we do. I mean over fifty voice actors covering something like what how many name characters are there uh, just over 200 or something oh yeah it's a lot, a lot. <laughs> and and everyone's so talented that even though you have this redundancy of actor characters um you're you're not gonna hear it like it's gonna feel super organic um and so i guess that's kind of the next question is um when it comes to going bigger in the audio drama sphere is the answer more people more bodies um, bigger production, stringing it more like a, a larger scale um, uh, production like we see in television and film. Is that the answer or is there still ways you can keep it very grassroots and still feel like you are pushing the boundaries of audio drama? And I'd like to hear from Paul about this because I know Paul loves like, the identity of Green Horizon is Ireland. So what are your plans with trying to push Green Horizon in the future? Hello. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've actually been, I've been thinking about this. And for me, the show, in my mind, uh, it's where I wanted to go has changed like rapidly over the course of the four years or so I've been making it. First made it, it was like, take it. Put it out there, and you know, I might, I'll, I might get off right Netflix. As I said, when I started, I knew nothing about this, nothing about other damn, nothing about the, the workings of it. That was my thinking. Um, but then, as time's gone on, and kind of, I've kind of like seen the show. It's like I, for me, the most important thing is, is finishing it, and the vision of the ending of it, getting to that point. I just want, to, you know what I mean? I'm not saying I just want to get it done. I, mean, I want to do it. I want to get the whole story out, do the show justice, and get it done. I want to see it done. Um, and I, when you were, I was also thinking about the question of you know what's the future of audio drama. I kind of think the way I see it now, and the, the way things are going, with especially like shows on Netflix that are getting a couple of seasons, just getting cut. The only thing that stops the likes of us shows from being cut is us stopping making them. I kind of think that's kind of the beauty of this, of being able to independently use these works of fiction that are, you know, like that are comparable to, to what you'd see on the telly and the only difference is if you listen to it. Um, like, imagine the amount of shows that are that got cancelled by Netflix that have been amazing. You know, pushing up daisies, um, uh, just now, like Firefly. Do you know what I mean? Imagine if, if we had the opportunity to, to see that through to the end. How much, like, how much better would would culture be? How much better would like entertainment be, fandoms be, if these shows got their full length? Um, and we have the opportunity to actually do that with our shows. And the only thing stopping us is our effort. So, like, for me right now, I think the only thing I want to do with the show is to is to improve as a as a producer, as a writer. 
sound designer. Um, and just, just get it done. Um, that's kind of where I am at the moment. Sorry, but only for mentioning pushing up daisies. Um, <laughs> but that's, uh, that's just my, that's, that's where I am at, at the moment with it now. Um, there is this like really interesting kind of um, middle finger counterculture to like these like big budget like that industry that we were just talking about as as um, we have more creators coming in and it gets bigger. Are we still going to have the middle finger up to big budget studios that like, oh, the show did one percent less than we expected it to. So let's cancel it. Like, you know, we have this indie scene that is so um, that is so passionate about their art. And you are correct. The only thing stopping you from making the show at this point is yourself. There is no one to tell you what to do. There's not investors involved in these other things. And it's kind of the, the audio drama scene kind of mirrors the, the, like the indie game scene because it's the same kind of counterculture that we see in indie games where it's I don't want a AAA studio to, to tell me what I should and should not do with my game. I can publish it myself and make the art I want, and people will love that, and there's a market for it. Um, and that is... Um, I'm, I'm new to the audio drama scene, but that is a parallel that was so evident to me this, the second I met Amy and Jackie, and they said, oh, yeah, we make audio dramas. I'm like, what is that? I've never heard of that. They're like, oh, they're podcast," And I'm like... Okay, I know I know podcasts like like D and D like like Critical Role. No, 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 no. Like it's like television without the visual component, and it's it. This shows you that like this scene is still extremely grassroots. It's still very new. I literally didn't know that these existed a year and a half ago. Aaron, what, um, do you have something to say? Well, when I talk to people and they're like, "Audio drama? What's an audio drama?" I'm like, well, "You know, radio plays, like old timey radio plays," and they're like. Oh, yeah, kind of like War of the Worlds, like that. Yeah, but like new stories and in every universe. So that's kind of where I feel like this has has kind of in a way never gone away because uh, but in another way, there's been a resurgence recently in this sort of in this form of storytelling. And then, Paul, I'm so sorry. Go right ahead. I saw you were talking too. Oh, you're absolutely fine. You're, you're totally right. Like it's it's just such a there's so much. To, there's so much now. It's so much content to it used more content, but there is so much there. There's just so much to consume, so much quality out there. And like I was, what I was just saying was like, look at the likes of Star Trek. If you look at the likes of um, Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, it's it's all one person being given the freedom to let their own internal imaginations come out in this you know long form of fiction. Um, and you know, for me, like, like I will make the show. I will finish it. And honestly, like. The, the quality will out if you know if you're given enough chance and enough time and you know enough put enough effort in yourself and yeah if you had that idea and you know like the, the, the limits are are endless essentially is what I'm saying and so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment with it and maybe tomorrow I'll change and I'll decide to sell out <laughs> who knows but it's why I'll never stop I'll never stop doing audio dramas because that's where the bravest storytelling is in my opinion, like, and it's not because there aren't great storytellers in television and film, but just as Paul was saying, uh, you're beholden to a giant studio that at any point in time can say, and your story's done. We just put everyone in cryostasis and there's two people left and there's one pod and then we ended Stargate Universe. 
What? Where's the conclusion to that? What? Um, they did write a comic book that I haven't read, but I do own. But like, like, and that's what ends up happening is: does the story now transform form? Does it become a book? Does it become a comic book? Does it turn into an audio drama like Doctor Who? has this huge wealth of in-canon lore from uh, Big Finish Audio that if you're like, oh, I love this Doctor, too bad he only had one movie. Oh, you didn't know that Paul McGann is like, has the biggest library of Big Finish Audio books for any Doctor? Are you going to enjoy this? You know, like, <laughs> there's just... Um, <laughs> I feel like it, it, it opens the floodgates to creativity. And I, I do think that audio dramas are here to stay. And I don't think they need to transform media, but if they do, they can always come back. And that's actually, that that's a question I'm going to touch on soon after I circle to um, the same question I had for Paul that I'll, I'll, I'll give to Hannah. Um, I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, oh, you mentioned like radio plays and stuff like that. Hearing Jack Ward and uh, some of the, the guys that have been uh, in this field for a really long time. Jack Ward um, uh, runs Sonic Society Mutual Audio Network. Uh, we heard from him a little bit this morning. Uh, and also Jeff as well has been doing like radio plays and they, they've all listened to this when um, they growing up as kids. Like we didn't have, Jeff's like, oh, I didn't have a TV growing up. I literally listened to radio plays uh, and that was my childhood. And, and, and Jeff could talk for probably days on the history of of audio fiction or what we now know as like audio dramas and it, it is truly truly remarkable and it's always had this insane passion to it um we'll be hearing from larry um uh Groeb, um i may be pronouncing the last name wrong uh sunday um and he also he has a show where he does like they do live Foley and stuff like that when they record all together. And so it is a live production that they do at the same time, like an old school radio play and they record it all in one shot live. And it is, it is fascinating. And it, it's that it's just generations of burning, burning passion. Um, so for Hannah, if they're, uh, hopefully everything goes well with super suits and we have more super suits to give the world eventually, um, is, if you could picture going even bigger with super suits, would you want to? And how could you, how do you think you could achieve that? Not, not to put all of super suits future on you, but just where, where does your mind go when you think about that? Very Interesting question. Um, and I think it's an interesting question because super suits, it's already a very big production. Uh, we've got this huge cast. We've got a musical episode uh we've got uh i don't as head writer also have to wear the hat of sound designer we have a sound designer um so i feel like super suits is sort of more towards the upper end of like like the amount of resources that uh audio dramas have nowadays um which was you know due to crowdfunding and due to all the very cool support we got so that's that's been awesome um, and honestly, I don't know. I don't know what I would add. I mean, um, I think the thing, I am a very strong proponent of bigger is not always better. I am a very big, I love 
small grounded stories. That's not what Super Suits is. Um, and I also love like huge off the wall sh- stories. I think that the best show on television right now is Riverdale. Um, um, but like, I, I think if I, if I could sort of make one wish for the future of audio drama, I, my wish would be that no audio drama is resource limited. Uh, and I don't think that means every audio drama should have 50 people in their cast and, you know, thousands of dollars to be made. Cause I truly think some of them don't need that. Some of the best audio drama I've listened to is two people sitting and talking to each other. Uh, and it didn't need anything more than that. And, you know, when I think of those, I, I haven't written those. Uh, so maybe, maybe their writers did wish for something more. But when I think of all the extra cast and all the extra sound design and all the bells and whistles that you could throw on those stories, I don't think any of them would have helped because sometimes part of the charm of audio dramas is how, how small they are and how you can feel like you're sitting and you're listening to some people talk with, you know, minor sound effects. Um, and for super suits specifically, we have been very lucky to not have ever been resource limited. Um, we wanted to make a musical episode and we did it, or we are currently doing it. Uh, we wanted to have this huge ensemble cast and we've been able to do that too. Um, I don't think there's ever been a point in the writing of super suits where we've said, we can't do that. We don't have the money uh or the the resources um and so maybe there is stuff we can add i think i'm curious to see how the sound design works out uh because our sound designer uh is also a university student and is also making their own podcast so i'm not sure uh how how fancy they're planning on going and i think there is a lot that can be done with fancy sound design for super suits um but like i I don't know it's super suits at this point is already the show that i personally want it to be um and i i truly i don't know that there's anything i would add i i like what you mentioned about like your wish for the future of audio dramas is that resources aren't an issue uh, because I think we've seen that even with a very small cast and having a very small like production team and having the right resources, you can still have a truly fantastic experience and it doesn't have to be grandiose. It doesn't have to be plentiful where, you know, you have a sound designer, a Foley designer and like all these different parts staged out. Um, and it's definitely, I think you're right. I think, and we'll probably touch on this more because we have a whole section on accessing and gatekeeping. Um, and this is one of those amazing industries that anyone with a microphone can technically make an audio drama in some capacity. Uh, it is one of the easiest industries to get into if you want to do it. Um, literally, Kai started Chain of Being after talking about it for like a year and his parents were like, why don't you just like go like right now, literally to your room and do it. And that is actually how chain of being started at that. Like 16 year old Kai was, he's like, 
fine. And he went to uh, his room and just made the first episode. Um, it is really beautiful in that regards that you can do so. Um, yeah. I will say, though, like, sometimes audio dramas are resource limited. Um, I, I have, uh, you know, I've talked to some of the other people in the network who have, like, not been able to do the things they want to do because they're doing it all themselves and it's a part-time job and they don't have time. Uh, I've uh, started uh, some scripts of a personal project of mine uh, and I've run into like several points where I've been like, I don't know if I, I don't know how I'm making this. I don't know uh, if I'm going to have the money to have a cast that's this big. Like, I don't know. Uh, if I'll be able to pay a sound designer, because I know I don't have time to use it my, to learn it myself. Um, like, you, anyone with a microphone can make a podcast, but uh, there are also, there are levels of making a podcast. And I do sort of, I, I wish, I wish everyone could go exactly as big as they wanted to go, you know? Like, I, I, Supersuits has been very lucky to not be resource limited, but if we hadn't done that well crowdfunding, uh, and if we hadn't, you know, been already a network, uh, you know, we probably would not have as much of an ensemble cast. We definitely wouldn't have a musical episode. Our sound design would probably be, you know, one of us, if I was writing it by myself, it'd be me trying to figure out how to do sound design. Um, and it, it would be a much different show. So, so I think I, I want, uh, I want everyone to go as big as they want to go. And I am seeing a lot more in this industry that shows are going to crowdfunding either for future seasons or there are new shows starting. Maybe they yeah. had a podcast, they're starting a new one. Um, this trend is, uh, definitely growing and we do also have a whole another uh, panel tomorrow about crowdfunding, uh, but maybe that is kind of where we are heading, where people are uh, faced with, I want to go big because I have this vision in mind. Um, and it's going to be show to show based. Like maybe I only need $1,000 to do what I have vision. Maybe you need more. And, you know, obviously in the case of Supersuits, with the, um, the, uh, with the level of detail and cast and, and, and the crew that we had, we had to go to crowdfunding. There'd be no way. And, you know, you're absolutely right in that case. So um, the next, does anyone have anything else to touch on when it comes to like pushing the boundaries of it from an audio only perspective? I have one more thing that's sort of from the actor's point of view. Uh, one of the things that push it, it pushes the boundaries of audio drama and has been in the forefront of things recently, and maybe we'll get more into that with access and gatekeeping or what have you, is that you can kind of look like anything behind the microphone. So sometimes your cast doesn't exactly fall out. Like the picture in your head of the characters does not match up with the person that's behind the microphone. And I think that's a really beautiful thing because it it opens up this umbrella one of the things that's really funny that i run into a lot is that sometimes i'll see an audio drama and i'll fall in love with it and like this is such a good idea and i'll look and they're all male characters and i'm like but these two could be me like i'm really great at this archetype 
but it, it's a sausage party. It's all dudes <laughs> in your audio drama. Like, what? Um, so I'm not going to lie. I've thrown in auditions, and it worked once. <laughs> and I got the lead in an audio drama, like a murder mystery, because this Wyatt Rutherford, I was like, this is Daniel Craig from Knives Out. I'm going to be the best Daniel Craig from Knives Out that you've ever seen. And then, like, I did it. And then I got it. And I'm from the Podunk Canyon Sheriff's Office, and I'm here to solve a murder. Like, I'm telling you, like, I just think that sometimes the character can come to life in a different way. But I also think it could be madness if you just go, oh, everybody audition for all roles. And I've seen those projects, and that's super fun. But from a casting standpoint, trying to make people match is a nightmare. So that's why I understand limitations. But I also am like... Does it have to always be these kinds of characters, like, or this? <laughs> I, you know, touching on that too, um, and and this is also part of access and gatekeeping. But um, audio dramas are incredible; like, it's, it's incredibly diverse industry, uh, uh, whether it's sexuality or or race or anything in between of how someone identifies or how they look. It doesn't matter. And it does matter because they have the right representation. Um, there, are, there is so much media out there for everyone, and it's such a progressive, awesome industry that there is something out there for anyone. Um, and I know that something like that was very important when we were writing Supersuits. I'd actually like to, for Hannah to talk a bit, a bit about um, what kind of went through your mind when you were uh, creating characters and stories and backstories for supersuits? Yeah. So, so the diversity of supersuits was super, <laughs> um, it was super important to us. Uh, it was, it was baked into it from the beginning. Um, we, I remember, uh, so our lead, uh, Harper Hallow, uh, is non-binary. Uh, and I specifically remember, like, discussing, okay, uh, we've got the archetype of a lead, Harper Hallow. We've talked about personality and we've talked about, uh, character arc. Gender? Um, and then go, I remember someone going like, you don't see a lot of non-binary leads. Uh, and us going like, yeah, you don't. Let's do that. Um, uh, which uh, has been fun for me because I've been uh, working out my my own gender stuff as as Supersuits has been being written. Um, so and like, I think that's a really cool thing to be able to do because. Getting, I I don't know off the top of my head of any like mainstream television show with a non-binary lead, uh, and I think that's probably because it would be super difficult to get past a studio. Um, you are starting to see more non-binary characters, um, but like side characters, non-human characters, like you can kind. I can. I watch these things and I listen to interviews and I like can see where creators are trying to push the limits and where networks are like pushing back and being like, okay, but you can't do it too much. Um, and I think that that sort of freedom in audio dramas is really, really lovely um, because you can just kind of be like, we want to do this and then you do it. Um, you don't, you don't really have to answer to anyone. Um, 
That won't we, land well with our target demographic. It's like, fuck you, who cares? We, we barely even have one of those. <laughs> um, or to the extent that we do, the target demographic is queer people, because the fandom for uh, audio dramas generally also leans pretty queer. Um, our, like, entire main cast of Super Suits is queer, which I don't think was even something we discussed, because we, the writers, were pretty much all queer in some way, and we just... It's what we wanted to do, and we ended up doing it. Um, we did... Uh, our writer's room does skew white, and so uh, deciding races and writing the characters uh, with, uh, you know, the their race baked into their backstory, but, like, not too much to the point where they become a stereotype has been uh, something that we've been sort of more careful about because with the queerness, we kind of just are like, we're all, we all know what this is like. Uh, um, um, to an extent, you do have to take into account people whose experiences are different from yours. Representation is complicated. Um, but uh, we also have this like incredibly diverse group of actors uh, who we can lean on to some extent. We don't want to make them do all the work for us because that's a lot to put on them. But like the ones that have been happy to, you know, share their personal experiences with us, we've been able to draw from that. Uh, there's a very cool industry of sensitivity readers that are also available. Uh, and I believe that we did, you know, end up bringing one of those on to sort of look through the scripts and, you know, be like, you fucked this up. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I, the, the, I guess, uh, too long didn't, didn't read or didn't listen, uh, is audio drama is a space where once again, you're kind of free to do whatever you like, which I think opens up a lot more room for representation because I think a lot of the stuff in mainstream, uh, television, movies, books that, stops representation from making it to the screen is you know people don't people get weird about it network people get weird about it uh people get hired less if they're part of marginalized groups whereas anybody can pretty much make a podcast as we've talked about by picking up a microphone you don't need to go get hired um and i think that's really great um and i think i have a lot of thoughts on representation and how it should be done carefully and I think there's some like danger in the fact that anyone can just make something and make the characters like whatever they want because you do have to portray things in a respectful way. You have I, I do think there is like a responsibility to your listenership when you're creating marginalized characters to create those marginalized characters well. Um, and any sort of writing will involve writing outside your experience. Um, but I. I think that the pros far outweigh the cons of just like the level of freedom you get is lovely. It's lovely. Uh, it's interesting hearing from um, when we did the Susu Pride, uh, Super Suits Pride video series, and uh, specifically Jeff was uh, talking about his experiences and coming out in his 20s during a very, he's the oldest, he is self proclaimed oldest member of the Super Suits cast and crew. Um, and so when the time that he came out was very dangerous time and very dangerous place where he lived, um, uh, he didn't specify like where, but he just said he was not very comfortable, uh, with coming out. But despite that, it was, um, 
it was super incredible for him and it was this weight off his shoulder and uh one of the questions during that was um what can audio dramas do better in terms of representation and things like that and for him just the fact that there is representation is enough for him as as an older gay man he's like i grew up with no characters i could relate to because any that you any that were there and, and it's like it's like you said you have to treat marginalized people and portray them with respect a lot are queer coded um to be almost inherently negative or villainized like uh even from my childhood i think of like ariel uh, not ariel ursula right is a villain but based on a drag queen that's cool right but ultimately is bad guy um i think of him from powerpuff girls this very weird evil demony thing in drag and it's like it is really uh, i i can only imagine that it's probably very difficult um to not have that kind of thing i'm i'm a cis white guy i have i cis straight white guy. i have no shortage of representation um so i really enjoy hearing um that side of things um lee was telling me yeah i oh i'm so sorry go ahead no sorry i i didn't mean to interrupt um, I do though. I also think it's interesting that you bring up the queer coding of villains. It's something that I personally have a lot of thoughts on. Um, because the interesting thing about that trope, uh, is that a lot of, you know, it comes from a harmful place of like, how do, how do we show that this villain is bad? We make them seem a little gay That's and it's all written by straight people, but also I've met a lot of queer people that just really start liking the queer coded villains. Um, I I thought Ursula was cool as hell growing up. I thought she was neat. Um, and like that's one of the things that I do love about audio dramas uh, is again going back to that anyone can make one thing. You have a lot of queer people making audio dramas, and so they can write their own takes on the queer coded villains like because i don't know it's great it's great that there's this tool now for people to tell their own stories i think that's the, the i think the most valuable bits of representation in super suits are the queerness parts because that's what we are that's that's you know it's a bunch of people telling their own stories and we fuck around with queer coded villains it's a it's a comic book trope then it's fun to engage with but it's we're doing it from the the perspective of a bunch of queer people and it's it's different the people writing their own stories is always different and I think it's really, really, really cool that audio dramas has, have have given so many people the tools to tell their own stories. That's really fascinating. Thank you for uh, uh, giving that context too. Um, do you think like uh, like you grew up liking Ursula? Is it so? You said did you do that because you like realized that they were being portrayed bad, and you thought like it's almost like counterculture to be like, no, I actually like them, or was it just like? I just happened to like them and didn't realize that um, the implication of someone like Ursula or like Jafar at the time. Uh, Jafar is another famously queer-coded villain. I think it's... I I mean, I think for me at the time, I was just like, yeah, she's... 
She's fun. She's like, she's funny. She's got those eels. It's neat. That voice, um, so good. That voice, yeah. I think, I think sort of the deeper thing behind it is a lot of queer people see themselves in these queer coded characters, and I think that contributes to the culture of a lot of queer people disliking their own queerness. But for the ones who are a little more secure in it, you see yourself in those characters, and you go, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and then you start to like those characters instead of instead of disliking it because you don't think queerness is something that indicates that you're evil. Uh, you you think it's something familiar and good. It's something that's inside of you. Um, and so that's I I was not as much of a villain lover as uh, many friends of mine, but like people have like told me these stories about how. Oh, they got attached to the queer coded villains because they were like them. That's awesome. And yeah. Honestly, it, like it's it's very funny to see how it's reflected. It, the one friend I'm thinking of who like has told me stories about like, yeah, I I really liked queer coded villains growing up because I thought it was neat that they were queer coded. Now she just it's somehow like circled around to she just roots for the villain in every single thing she watches <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, you talked about how anyone can kind of make the story and do the re representation that um, they want to see. Um, Lee, if if Lee was here, Lee would talk about also, um, the the two main characters. Um, Lee's big thing was, I've never seen a show that has two non-binary leads in an ace relationship. I just want to do that a healthy ace relationship. So I'm just gonna make it that way and. It just works. It's not an identifying part of the character. It's just a, a part of them. And it's for and for Lee and for the other members of the Sound Museum, that's enough for them. And then that's like uh, really important to them. And it's something so simple. It doesn't have to be more than, yeah, they are two non-binary people that love each other so much. And it's really, really healthy. And it's not anything deeper than that. It's really, really, really cool. And it's something simple that that's going to resonate with someone. Um, just that simple inclusion is going to really, really resonate with, uh, some fan out there, maybe several fans. And, um, I think that's really, really, really beautiful. Um, a lot of this is, I think, touching a bit into a future panel. So, um, I'm very excited to talk with more people about something like this, um, and the accessing gatekeeping. Um, so I think a fun way to kind of maybe like end the panel would be to, kind of talk about if you could take your projects one step further and if if instead of pushing further an audio only format if you would you want to take your project to an extra media uh or additional medium would you and how would you do so and i'd like to uh bring this up with paul um because you and i have actually talked about this uh before um yeah um I'm not sure. Uh, I, you know what? I would love to see the show as a graphic novel. I think it would it would be pretty fun. Um, I think you'd be able to kind of convey, uh, really convey the the look of the show, the style of the show, in a way that um, um, I've actually couldn't. 
Um, I think the you know, you know the way this build, the way that that they're done, and you know the style of it, and the way the speech is done, and all that. I really think like that that would be something I would love to try and do um, in the future. Uh, I'm not sure how. Um, anybody out there? No, uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know how I I I do it. I can't draw to save me life. But, um, <laughs> Uh, my father can, funny enough. My father's a very, very good artist, very talented. Uh, oh. Did not get passed down. Yeah, <laughs> did not get passed down. At all. At all. I can't draw a conclusion, let alone a, <laughs> any kind of artwork. So, um, I don't know how I'd see that happen, but oh, gee, oh, I'd love it. Oh, that'd be so much fun. Um, yeah, I suppose that's it, yeah. I can't no, draw a conclusion. Um, that is, ap that is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what about you, Aaron? Is there anything you've been a part of, um, either you're currently working on or something you've been a part of that you would like to see pushed to another medium and, and either because you like that project or you want to be a part of it? So most of the time when I fall in love with the project, it like explodes in my brain and I'm like, oh, that would also make a great dating sim. And you could also, that would be an amazing animated feature. <gasps> and it could just, and like, I get automatically, I'm like, oh young adult novel series uh uh like i can't help it it's like this thing um and so literally almost everything that i am in i have imagined another form that would also tell essentially a different side of the story because i don't think you'll be able to tell the story the exact same way um and i also think that's okay I think you could have, like, for the Green Horizon, telling your whole story because you're like, it's happening. I'm going to, like, beginning to end, the most important thing is to tell my story. Then do that. And then if they do make a television show, you can tell the same story from a different perspective. It can be the same story, but you'll get something else out of it because it's different. And it's not better. I don't know. There's no superiority, inferiority about it. I just think it's different. So it's, like, literally everything like super suits uh there's another show the technomancy project that i i can see as a live action sitcom both of them like live action sitcoms easy um well super suits would be a lot of money <laughs> but a lot of what i'm in I, I imagine either an animated version a video game version or a, a live action version well that brings me then to hannah um what projects are you associated with that you could see going to that um to another medium. Yeah, so fully agree with everything Aaron said. I think every single thing ever, every every single piece of fiction made could get something out of switching to another medium because there's a lot of different pros and cons for all these different mediums. You know, in a book, you can see more of what a character's thoughts are generally because you get their uh, internal internal monologue, but you don't see anything. Uh, and that's why it's really cool to see, and you know, film or TV adaptations. But in the in the uh, in podcasts, you it's a lot more immersive maybe than a movie because you're listening to it and you can sort of feel like you're in it, uh, but you don't see anything. Um, so I think I think almost anything could switch to a different medium and it would be cool and i fully agree there's no hierarchy um you get different stories one is not necessarily going to be better than the other for super suits specifically i think super suits would make an excellent cartoon 
Um, because I think one of the one of the big things uh, about the medium of an audio drama that we lean on is sort of the ability it gives us to be over the top and unrealistic. Like we can just say, oh, there's a person with six heads and uh, oh, someone just bounced off the wall uh, because they're made of rubber, followed by, you know, a rubber sound. Uh, and that's what's happening. And I think that would make it I think switching it to something live action would lose some of that like zaniness. You know, we, we all we all saw the commercials for the live action Lion King. Um, but I think like animation and cartoons have a lot of that same stylization and levels of unreality to them uh, that would, you know, it would lend itself really well. And like Jackie, Stefan and I, we've all talked about like, ooh, this would be a really good visual gag if we could do visual gags. So I do think I do think that would be a lot of fun. And I think Midsummer's Quarantine could have made a really nice like live action quiet drama or not like quiet. <laughs> Quite a live action dramedy, just, you know, in these two apartments, one camera, limited set. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah, I think I think everything should at least think about switching to another medium uh, because it's, it's a good way to analyze your story and figure out what's important about it uh, and and see the different sides. It's awesome. I um, there's actually been some chatter recently in the Super Suits uh a staff server um or the cast and crew about what a like audio or a visual novel version of the show would be and that could be really fun you have trials you have to present evidence and like you could have like you know routes and things like that um and so that's i personally have thought about super suits in that medium and also as a cartoon uh, uh quite a bit too so i'm definitely on the in the same boat as super suits animated series would be stellar uh, in so many ways. One of, the, one of the shows I'm in, The Storm Chasers, which is a, a podcast that's available everywhere up to episode, I don't even know, we're on six or seven. Um, if you go to YouTube, they have that visual novel graphic idea where the text is at the bottom and the characters pop up and there's keyframes so the emotions are changing um, only on YouTube as a visual element. So it's kind of like encouraging you, like if you want to listen to it in your car, you can, but you can also watch this beautiful full-color thing and now i'm like why doesn't well money is the answer but like why doesn't everyone do this this is amazing um and that isn't that i i don't know but i think that that super suits would be incredible in that medium in that in that very simple not fully animated i mean you could do obviously that would be great but you know like and that's something i kind of played with is like giving like during the marketing of super suits and crowdfunding he's kind of giving it that like comic book feel with like the pop-up text and and like those like kind of colors and things like that and i i actually originally pitched during the interviews to amy and jackie that we have art for the interviews that pop in and out for who the interviewee uh, and the interviewer and they're like Tony, you're going to kill yourself if you do this. It's going to take a lot of work. I'm like, no, 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 no. Just provide me. I can make him look like they did in the trailer. Where it's like kind of they're silhouetted and they yelled at me. So I literally had a very similar idea for uh, Super Suits with that. It just um, they yelled at me and rightfully so. I would have been I would have been very upset with myself. I'd be honest. Those, yeah. Yeah. They were yeah. so fun, though. It would have been, been cool. 
but it would have been cool, but you would have died, and honestly, you probably would not have finished all of them. Had there we were like had eight the interview idea like a month before we went to crowdfunding, yes. yes. could have done it. But I was like pushing yes. out the last interviews on the last few days of crowdfunding, and there's no way I would have gotten it done uh, in, in time. But uh, the Storm Chaser series is that a that's an actual player part of? Is that correct? Or Getting, getting back to the mute. I was trying to find some of the art so I could pop it into the chat real quick. And oh, I yeah, please do. Um, yeah, so the... Um, what was the question? Storm Chaser. Is that is that an actual play? It is an original audio drama production by Michael Shannon, who was a film... Uh, he did film before, and then, and then COVID happened, and he's like, well, what do I do now? And he was like... The wonderful well, world of audio uh, drama. Audio drama, and so it's it's gorgeous. It's 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 beautiful. It's also super well written. Like I love it, and yeah, it's out there on on all of the wherever you get your podcasts. But on YouTube, you can get the really cool visual novel thing, which is super cool. I want to do something like that for um, an act. The actual play that I'm I'm a part of, and we're uh, filming for is to have that kind of it's very listenable it's very digestible in audio only but i would love to have that visual element that really uh heightens the experience uh whether it's like overlays or things like oh wow that is i'm gonna pull this up so that the recording can see that is beautiful yeah so it's like these beautiful full painted backgrounds and then the characters as they're popped like that's a promo picture but it's the same artist so let me find I'll find a character like a rando character, not even one of the main. Here we. Oh wait, this is one of the main. <laughs> let me save this image. Oh, that is, that is beautiful. Save, and then let me pop this up here. In here, I can do this. It's and and while we're wrapping up for anyone listening in with us, do you have any questions or any suggestions for how? the world of audio drama can keep pushing forward and pushing the boundaries of what existed. Cause I think some of the awesome takeaways that we've had from this conversation is that just the ability to tell Aaron mentioned, like it is one of the best storytelling mediums there is out there. Um, and you can tell some of the most, Oh wow. That is, Oh God, that is gorgeous. I love that art style. It kind of almost reminds me of like Hades a little bit. Uh, with this like the saturation oh, yeah, of colors the and, and the, yeah 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 just a little bit it is who that is pretty um, I think we've had some really excellent takeaways from this conversation and that uh, audio dramas can kind of tell stories that aren't really available anywhere else right now and that's kind of a way that we can keep pushing is just telling better and better stories um, and I think we're on a good track to do that so far I mean I'm happy with um uh, a lot of the work we're doing and making art and making it accessible and awesome banani was also thinking that great minds great minds Jada, i have a question for the writers that's okay um i have when i introduce people to audio dramas i tell them that for all the whole world of audio drama i have a three episode rule which is that the first three episodes might not be as good as the rest of the show. And I don't know if it's a gelling of the actors. I don't know if it's the writers weren't 
fully wrapped in the world. But I have yet, and I, I apologize, I haven't listened to The Green Horizon and I will, for sure. Um, I can't say that it applies to yours because I haven't listened to yours exactly. I also can't say it applies to Super Suits because I haven't listened to Super Suits yet. I have to listen to it. But like every audio drama I listen to, the pilot, I'm like, well, I want to see where it goes. Second episode, okay, well, it's getting better. I want to see where it goes. And usually by episode three or four, I'm like, oh, I'm hooked. There it is. Now it's good. And then it, it's just better, 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 better. Like, do you guys know, like, what are your thoughts on that? Have you noticed the similar trend? Is there a way to improve that? Because my wish for the future of audio drama is that, boom, episode one, the story is good, go. Uh, I, well, for me, um, it was definitely a combination of things. It was it was my first time ever writing any kind of script as work. And it was the first thing I ever sound designed, ever. It was the first episode. Um, so there was a lot of a lot of roughness to it, and once that was done, the second episode was a little bit fillery. Like I'd even admit it now, there was a lot of jokes, but it was a bit fillery. Then from three onwards, I think three onwards is yes, yeah, three onwards is where it starts to click. Things get back into it. I kind of whenever I'm I'm telling like people I know about the show, I go I tell them. One and two is, is grand, I say. Stick with it. It gets better. And then season two and season three. But I'm like, the first two episodes are a little bit janky. I kind of say, just stick with it. I think a lot of it has to do with just like... Right? Like, I watched a video on YouTube and they were literally saying... This was from a, a, a screenwriter who has uh, um, shows on on streaming platforms. You can say the pilot's the trick. pilot is very tricky because... Don't want to overload it but you don't want to underdo it and you don't want to overcook it and you have to get all the characters in and you have to introduce them organically but you don't want to have too many characters so it's very it's a very tricky episode to do um and when you're doing that it's your first thing you've ever written plus you've ever designed and for me you know that's that's just just where i'm coming from but I, yeah i definitely think it's it's three three is a good it's a good uh a good test and they have to be very self-conscious. I'm gonna to have to go back and look at my uh, look at my stats and be like, uh, <laughs> Wait, "Should I rematch this before Aaron listens?" Here. <laughs> I am but immediately gonna right. go. Oh no! I was gonna say, like, gonna... like I forget that there's huge skill sets that you have to learn for this medium, and so not everybody's gonna have all of the skill sets at a, whole, a totally professional level from the get-go, and that makes a, that makes a lot of sense to me. That yeah. that's a limitation. <laughs> A lot of audio dramas have the same story is pandemic hit. I'm getting into this podcast industry. I want to make my own podcast. So, so many people who are starting their own podcast started at the exact same time from nearly square one. Um, Grather the suspects is the exact same case. John is like, I'm bored during lockdown. And Jonathan said, I want to make a podcast. And again, like that, that show gripped me at the third episode plus because the, the first two episodes are good, but it really catches you and it really settles into itself after a little bit. It, it is like this weird curse in the audio drama sphere. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I think it's just, it, we, there are a lot of amateurs in audio dramas, which I think is great. Again, great that the barrier of entry is so low, but it means that you learn as you go. And beginnings are inherently difficult. <laughs> like even, I've now written a couple things, uh, and 
beginnings are always among the hardest parts. Um, and between starting the hardest part where you, when you are at your lowest level experience of experience, it's not fun. Um, and so you have to, you have to learn new skills as you're also just finding the voice of the show and it's really hard. And yeah, I think, I think that that's probably it. And I think it makes sense. That's awesome. I'm also going to go reread the first three episodes of Super Suits after we're done. <laughs> Everyone's all self-conscious about the first three episodes now. <laughs> oh, this has been really, really, really excellent. Um, I think we were able to kind of take a good look at the industry um, and kind of ask that question of, like, I think really the industry just is going to keep doing what it's doing and continue doing what it's good at, and that's telling unique stories. Um that can apply to pretty much anyone. Um, there is a podcast out there for you and there will continue to be so. Um, so I really want to thank everyone for their participation today. I've, I've learned a lot from hearing from creators and on the performer side too. And it's really been very enlightening. Um, I will ask the chat one more time. If there's anything you have to, um, you'd like to ask or uh, touch on, you know, now's the time to do so, but we will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow's lineup includes um, tomorrow's kind of theme. Sorry, my monitor is so bright. Good God. Um, it is kind of about finding your audience. So we've talked about shows. We've talked about breaking through the boundaries of the shows. And now it's we're going to be going into tomorrow with like how to find those people. What do you do with your fans now that they're here? And things like that. You know, We're going to open up with um, you know kind of welcome open discussions, probably recap. The day going to be um, talking marketing, organic marketing for your podcast, using a website to your advantage, things like that. Crowdfunding is something I'm very excited to talk about um, because we've seen that be very successful in this industry. Um, Non-podcast content. What do you do with your fans when you're not making a show? Um, and also the very important question is new listeners into podcasts, but more specifically, how do you get people that maybe are into talk shows or have never listened to a podcast to listen to an audio fiction show. Um, those are the topics for tomorrow, and it should be really, really, really fun. Um, for, uh, so Banani says, for your works, what is the next thing that you want to do? Like, what your next challenge is? Do you mean of existing, like existing shows or like future different ideas, Banani? Existing stuff. Um, Okay, Paul, um, we did talk a little bit about this with how are you going to push your show further, but um, do you have any kind of um, statements of like what you want to do with Green Horizon, how much longer maybe it's going to run and that kind of thing in the future? Do you Does that end in sight that you talked about? You talked about wanting to finish it. Yeah. Well, there's an, yeah. Um, I am saying give that away but i'm i'm looking at possible seven seasons is kind of where i'm at Ooh, okay um, uh, and i suppose the thing that i want to next challenge i suppose is just keep keep improving one thing that i really want to focus on is score and um, that is my big weak point and um, i actually remember i was i was doing the, the finale to season three and um i spent about a week Doing this, I want not to not spoil it. Doing the chase scene, finale of season three. Just remember sitting there, 
going, this is missing something, and I was like, missing, it's missing music, that's what it's missing. And, and by, only by pure luck, I actually find a song on Free Music Archive that linked up perfectly with it. That's luck. awesome. Um, it was, it was, it was so happy about it, but I was like, I need to do this more, it just, it elevates the scene, going forward into season four, I need to do this more, I need to do more scoring, I need to put more effort into this. Um, so that's definitely one, one area I want to go. Um, then after, I suppose after the show, I want, I, I want to do a sequel as well to it, um, a short sequel series after, that's kind of where, where I'm at, and after that I have no idea where I'm going to go. Um, I suppose that's that's the that's the short term plan, medium term, uh, for the moment anyway. Awesome, thank you for that. Uh, Hannah, where do you see Supersuits going after this first season? Oh, I'm so excited to write the next few seasons of Supersuits. So at the start of the show, uh, we planned we planned our characters and our world. Uh, to have arcs that last few seasons. And season one was super fun to write, but it was also mostly set up, you know? We didn't uh, have a... We didn't put the characters in uh, too many, like, super stressful situations. We were more focused on getting to know them, with the exception of Harper, who is our main character, and there's... You gotta, you gotta have something, uh, some conflict. Um, we didn't, uh, shake up our world too much until, like, the very end, because we were more focused on establishing it. Um, and so season two, I think, is when we really get into the stuff that I am particularly excited about writing. It's when we say, okay, you've met these people, you know who they are as people, now we can start digging into that and start uh looking at how their personalities affect their lives and how they have to change to exist in this world that uh they've created uh, that that we've created and that they live in and now they can actually sort of have some larger effects on that world because you know the basics of it um and so i am just i'm very excited i'm uh very excited to write the next few seasons and get into sort of the more complicated uh character arcs and the the more uh sort of difficulties of the world and it'll still it'll still be a comedy uh but but uh what comedy doesn't make you cry here and there yeah exactly i'm gonna i'm gonna make aaron work really hard and i'm also gonna make all the other voice actors work really hard um so i'm looking forward to that uh and aaron for you um what are you working on now that you're excited for the future on or what opportunities do you hope open up for you now maybe that you've made your anime debut or have had these other opportunities to work on some really prestigious stuff um yeah so i just made a huge physical move so literally about a month ago i moved from colorado to texas so that i could be closer to the studios because uh, Crunchyroll Funimation, and Funimation is now just Crunchyroll, rawr, um, have decided that everything's going to be recorded in studio. So you have to be local to the Dallas-Fort Worth area or in the surrounding cities willing to travel to that area. So I'm really hoping that I didn't move to Texas for no reason. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And I'm going to have an apartment out in L.A. 
that I can traverse between the two. Um, and so that's my next thing. I'm still doing a lot of oh, just catch up, settling in my family, settling in that. And that has been the bigger challenge has been making sure my family's been being taken care of so that I can keep living this dream and pursuing this dream. Um, I'm grateful that I make enough money to support them um, completely on on this. It's just, uh, I yeah, I totally want to do anime. I'm trying to push myself. I get a lot of auditions for like Disney and Nickelodeon, but but I just I'm I just feel like I'm close to Disney. Like I'm I feel it in my blood. You know, like I can't tell you. It's probably been like five or six productions that I've. Um, like I've auditioned for and I was like but at least they're starting to know your voice because that's part of it is that they don't usually when they're unknown they've still heard you a bunch of times before they're like okay now you're the unknown person we're bringing into this so I'm like come on Disney by the end of the year that'd be great <laughs> I definitely heard that from um, up and coming voice actors looking to get into more serious roles it's like it's okay that you may strike out for a year to two years straight because you are getting recognized and someone will think I've got a voice in my head and you're perfect for this and will come mm-hmm. to you for like, you should audition for this role. I think you'd be good. Um, I'm really excited for you. If you're already like getting to that stage where you're getting like getting pretty close. I'm very, very happy for you. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, oh, I can't talk ah! <laughs> in a month, something huge is releasing in a month. And it kind of goes in line with what Hannah said about, or no, what you said about Lee being excited about representation. This is also going to have very healthy representation of something I've never seen represented healthily before. And so I cannot wait to share that because it was like an honor. So that's, but it's already done. So I can't say it's challenging me, but I'll share it. But Disney's really challenging me a lot. I'm taking a lot of top level classes to try to be like, so with Disney, what? <laughs> Like what? What has your experience been when you do you do two takes? Like, <laughs> what's the secret? There's no secret. You're just right, Tony. Like, eventually, you you will find that fit, or you won't, and it is what it is. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on a successful move, and um, for all your success you've had thus far. Obviously, we all have the best of wishes for you. And um, I just really want to thank everyone in here as well for sharing all their experiences. Uh, thank you for everyone listening, um, for interacting with us and hearing what we have to say. And um, it's just been really, really, really awesome. Um, so we will see everyone tomorrow for more awesome con nonsense. And uh, yeah, we'll see y'all later. Nonsense. Consense. Some, some, some real mad consense here. <laughs> okay, goodbye. <laughs> Now, you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio drama. So, yeah, either the main mutual audio network feed for all types and genres of audio drama, or the Monday Matinee. And we'll see you there. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.